Welcome to the legal hour this night. Tonight it's a very cold night outside, um, but luckily it's a bit warm here in the in the studio. And uh, I'm going to keep you people here for the nettle. Obviously, we're going to break for Ishai, and when we come back after Ishai, we'll be here till nine o'clock. So I've got very special guests tonight uh, in studio. Um, we have, uh, um, before I say who's my guest, but what we're going to talk about tonight is a very, very important uh, topic. And I mean, I've, I've had a few people speaking about this particular issue. And that is, again, the land issue, you know, and expropriation and what's happening at the moment. Everybody's reading about it. Everybody's talking about it. And uh, in, on this program, we're trying just to unravel some of the, the, the issues. There's obviously a lot of people saying things like, you know, they're going to take over your house, they're going to take over your... And, you know, we're just trying to get the facts. And we, as a result, we're bringing on the lawyers, we're bringing on the politicians. And tonight, you know, we've got a very special politician here. A politician that I, I go back with a long, long, long time ago, but we'll talk about that later. None other than Cameron Dagmore. Uh, good evening, Cam- Cameron. Uh, good evening, Ishan. Thanks so much for having me. And it's uh, good to see you again. Um, and I'm looking forward to our engagement. Thanks so much. Okay, great, Cameron. And so we've got Cameron here tonight, and I'm going to talk a little bit about, you know, Cameron's uh, illustrious career. You know, Shiam Samai is also joining us, but she's not here yet. Shiam Samai will obviously comment on, on, on some of the land issues, but she'll also be telling us tonight about her interaction at the Constitutional Court last week where she actually argued herself. I mean, that's a very proud moment for our community, I think, when when one of our people of our community can argue a matter in front of the 11 Constitutional Court judges. So she'll tell us a little bit about that. But let's get back to Cameron first. Cameron, you've served on several portfolio committees uh, in the provincial government. And some of that includes the transport, public works, property management, and you were even the cultural affairs and sports uh, MEC. Is that correct? Um, yes, I was actually the MEC for education from 2004 to 2008. And then the last eight months, I was then moved to cultural affairs and sport up until 2009. But as you indicated, um, I've been a member of the Western Cape legis- Legislature from 1994. Sure, it's and a long time. Yeah, and mm. th- I served on a number of committees then, um, local government, uh, housing. I was on the health committee, also public accounts and finance. So I've literally served on quite a lot of those committees. And as you might remember, from 2010 to 2014, um, after the ANC lost the election in the Western Cape, I was appointed as a special advisor in Minister Trevor Manuel's office and had the privilege of working 
with the National Planning Commission and others on developing the National Development Plan 2030. And then since 2014, um, I was deployed back to the Western Cape Legislature, back in the opposition benches. And the main committee I'm working on now is, as you indicated, transport, public works and property management. But I also serve on the committee that has oversight of the Department of the Premier. Mm-hmm. And then I'm, al- I'm an alternate on education as well as cultural affairs and sport. And in fact, um, there's a very important issue that we're dealing with right now um, on the Education Portfolio Committee, which you might know is the Western Cape Schools Act Amendment Bill, yes. which amongst other things raises the proposal um, by the provincial government for collaboration schools and also um, you know this very very controversial proposal which would allow uh, governing bodies under certain conditions to actually apply to sell alcohol at schools. Ooh, we're going to deal with that. We're definitely going to ask be you time about for that. that. But actually, but we what will I'm, make time for why that I'm raising that, Ishan, <laughs> is that there's a public hearing tomorrow. I know mm. that Voice of the Cape does reach places like PAL, and there is going to be a public hearing on the Western Cape Schools Act Amendment Bill at six o'clock tomorrow in PAL, and then next week on Tuesday, the final public hearing at Wales Street in the provincial parliament chamber on the sixth floor. And I think it's very, very important, not just for teachers, um, not just for school principals and governing body members, but parents as well, and obviously students, learners, to make their voices known about uh, this proposal from the Western Cape government. So yes, it's it's been a long while that I've been in so-called formal politics, but as you know from the days back at the University of Cape Town. Yeah, but Cameron, before we get to, 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 to the UCT days, I just want to say that, you know, it's quite interesting. I don't want to lose the point. Yeah. You know, I don't want to lose the point about this, the sale of alcohol, the potential sale of alcohol at the schools. Um, it was interesting when the president, when President Ramaphosa visited the Muslim community in during the Ramadan, yes. when he had the, the, the iftar with him, it was interesting, it was raised, from the floor by a gentleman known as um, Mu'ad Khabir. Yes. He actually raised the question with the president that night. I was quite uh, surprised that, in fact, if, if he didn't raise it, I wouldn't have known about it. And it's funny that you're raising it again tonight. Because I thought uh, it, it could have possibly been dealt with, you know, at that level. But clearly, you know, we, we need to fight a little bit more. Yes, because as you know, <clears throat> in terms of the national constitution, um, basic education, uh, primary schools and high schools actually fall under the provinces. But what is very interesting in this regard and what's in a sense breaking news, we got a legal opinion today which you as a lawyer would I think be very interested in. I will share it with you from the Western Cape Parliament's own legal advisor about this bill. And that uh, legal advisor who's an advocate uh, has come out very clearly and he says that certain provisions of this proposal um, of the um, the DA provincial government are actually not only against the South African Schools Act and national policy but in fact against the constitution itself oh. and he specifically mentions this provision related to the sale of alcohol at, at public schools but also the issue of collaboration schools which, which we could get into so in this particular instance I think it is really going to be the voice of 
the community in the Western Cape um, to stand up against this particular piece of, of legislation that will determine whether it goes ahead or not. So I also heard that the matter was raised with the president and he expressed um, serious concerns about that because this is not something that any other province is proposing to do. This is what the Western Cape is proposing mm. to do. And I'm just concerned that it appears that the MEC in the province is listening more to the voices of a small minority of schools um, who want to generate funds at particular events by selling alcohol. And I think it's incredibly insensitive given the huge challenges that we have in our province around substance abuse, mm-hmm. around fetal alcohol syndrome, um, and generally the issue of um, domestic violence, which often is linked to the abuse of okay. alcohol. Yeah, Cameron, I think what we can do is, you know, of course, we'll, we will watch that space yeah. and maybe have a proper program on it because I do believe that type of uh, scenario warrants a full program. I mean, alcohol at schools, I mean, it, it, it's, it's almost inconceivable, you know, that there's such a big fight against substance abuse in our communities that, you know, that politicians at this point in time you know, see fit to even entertain that type of uh, scenario. So I think we'll have a full program on it, you know, should we, um, in, in the very near future. That would be great. Yeah. And also I think it's important that from a legal point of view, you look at the other proposals that are being made here, issues of collaboration, schools and so okay. on. But you didn't invite us here for that. Okay, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Let's move past it for a moment. Shyam just stepped in now and I get to Shyam. We need to almost break for Ishai. But before we do that, I just want you to, to, to say that, you know, when, when I got to UCT in 1988 uh, from Trafalgar, mm. and I remember that uh, you served as the president of the SRC for UCT that year. That's right. That's so, right. I mean, that's where I actually know you from, from that time. Yeah. And for me, I must tell you, it was weird coming from uh, growing up in the, in the, in the city, Bowl, Wormay Estate. Mm. And going to Trafalgar, we didn't even know at that point in time that white people were actually involved in the struggle. <laughs> so for me, it was the weirdest thing. Here's yeah. a person who's actually leading the struggle at, uh, at UCT. So, I mean, for me, just tell us a little bit about that, those days. I mean, you, you, you obviously left an impression on myself and a whole lot of people that from our background at that point in time. Yeah. I think Ishan, um, both of us and many others are kind of children of the 1980s and it was, a ve- as, as, as many people know, a very special decade. I came from a very conservative town uh, in Georgia, I matriculated in 1981, um, but already then, you know, one had begun to connect with community. So coming to UCT, um, one was then uh, exposed not only to to student politics um, but also the struggles that were going on in the community at the time uh, school boycotts the fatties and monies um, boycott bus strikes and one of the things that the organization then the student organization helped with you know there was a wages commission where students were taught about worker struggles we had the um, community um, work uh, commission which exposed people to housing issues and then also I also served on NUSAS Education Action Committee Mm. um, where we got involved in education charters so I think you know it was 
um, a special time you remember that was when the National Party was trying to push the tricameral yes. parliament, um, making a case that so-called coloured and Indian and, and people... The, and the banning of all the organisations in that year. Yes, yes. yeah. There was a UDF launch uh, in yes. 83 when mm. I was in second year. And I know that um, it was kind of at the time that I was almost preparing to leave. I took a l- more than more time <laughs> than you, Ishan, to finish my law degree. Um, it, it took a while. I had a sabbatical, actually, that when I was the SOC president, which they allowed people to do because it was pretty much a yeah, job. We had the Defiance campaign in 89. We worked for the unbanning of organizations. As you know, there was a lot of... Cameron, we're going to touch on yeah. all these things. We're going to break for Ishai now. I mean, uh, we're now going to... And after Salah... We'll come back and we'll, we'll t- we've got till 9 o'clock to talk on these issues. But I think it is important for people to understand, you know, that that old way of, uh, of thinking, you know, in terms of putting the poor first, putting the oppressed first, is still foremost in the mind of, of politicians. And that's exactly what the community wants. The Legal Hour with Isan Higgins. And we are back with the um, with, with the legal hour, and we're dealing tonight with. Well, let me first say who my guests are in studio. Uh, for those who missed it, and we only switched on after Ishai, uh, I have with me um, politician Cameron Dagmo, and I have. Oh, I didn't greet Shaham yet. Shaham, assalamualaikum. Assalamualaikum to all the listeners. Shyam, can you move your mic closer to you? Then it's a bit easier for the listeners to to hear. You know, Cameron, a few minutes ago you spoke about this alcohol issue. And, you know, it's amazing how many people are responding to it now. I mean, the program tonight is not about the <coughs> alcohol issue. Mm. and uh, But I think people are feeling very strongly about it. And I'm sure they, was, they felt strongly at the, at, the, at the public hearings. I believe there is another opportunity tomorrow to go to a public hearing. Yes, um, thanks Ishan. There actually are two opportunities remaining. The first of which is tomorrow evening, that's on Tuesday, in Paul at the Clay Niederberg School in Paul. That's the Clay Niederberg um, Secondary School at 6.30pm from 6.30pm to 8.30. And then next Tuesday is the final opportunity that people have. And that one will also start at 6.30. And this time it will take place at the provincial legislature which is number seven Wales Street. Oh, right here in town. And that's your right close in town on Tuesday the 21st of August mm. at number seven Wales Street. So there actually are two more opportunities for people to express their views on the proposed Western Cape Schools Act Amendment Bill. That's right. Yeah, let me just before we go to, to, to the land issue, and I mean, I'm, very, I'm quite, uh, you know, reading to go to get into the, this issue of land expropriation. But I just want to read one of the listeners' comments, and I mean, this is basically the tone and the mood of the type of messages that's coming through. It says, uh, I, no, no, it said, Assalam. <laughs> it said, Though our policymakers don't care, we are already invested with drugs, alcohol, violence, abductions, and abuse, just to mention a few. Let us stand together and unite on this alcohol issue. 
I think that's correct. And I think what people need to understand that this is not coming from the national government. This particular proposal, it's the only province in the country that is proposing that school governing bodies in certain circumstances be allowed to sell alcohol. Mm-hmm. And that's from the Western Cape Provincial Government. And without being, you know, party political here, we know that that is a proposal from a DAMEC supported by the Premier. And I think people need to understand that it's actually a Western Cape law that this provincial government mm-hmm. is trying to push. Yeah, but as I say, we'll have a program on it. And I mean, if, if the, the Western Cape. Uh, uh, government uh, wants to send a representative. I'm quite happy to hear their view, their take on yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. You should and, invite them. I yeah. hope you do. Yeah, no, I would like to get somebody here to, to maybe we can get uh, maybe even the Premier to come on and explain this to us. But in any case, let's see what happens. I want to jump into the whole issue yeah. of um, <clears throat> of land and land expropriation. I mean, we've had such a lot of it, 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 uh, situations where we we saw in the newspapers, you know, people talking about um, Cyril Ramaphosa's overnight announcement, you know, that the ANC will amend the constitution to allow for the expropriation of land without compensation. And of course, it took many people by surprise. We managed to get <coughs> um, Khalid Sayed of the ANC Youth League on, and we managed to get um, Nazir Paulson of the EFF on one program. And they kind of explained it, you know. But the thing is, it's, I think it's good for our community to hear it from the politicians. You know, what does it mean? You know, where is it going to take us? You know, is it good for our country? Is it bad for our country? And I think that must be the vein of what we are okay. discussing here tonight. Mm-hmm. And, and Shiam, well done on, on presenting such a good argument at the Constitutional Court last week. And it touched on some of the land issues. So maybe you want to just tell us later on. Maybe we must introduce it now. You, you, in fact, you were one of the first attorneys that I know that actually ventured to the Constitutional Court and made the, and, and appeared in front of the eleven judges yourself. Normally, uh, you know, you would normally go there armed with a junior advocate and a senior counsel. And in fact, I'm one of those people <laughs> that went there with Vom Trengrove, the best advocate, well, arguably the best advocate in the country to deal with the Assam case. Mm-hmm. That's why I was so surprised to see you actually arguing the matter yourself. So just tell us a little bit about it and, and touch on the land issue that, uh, that you went to argue. Okay. Thank you, Ikshan. Um, I think for me always is that access to justice is very important. And I think that at the end of the day that attorneys, um, as well as advocates, I mean, the Constitutional Court, um, you know, want people to be able to bring matters. And we shouldn't see it as an ivory tower. We must see it as a place for justice for ordinary people. And I think it's very important for the Women's Legal Center to be able to represent the interests of women at that court in terms of all cases possibly that impacts on the rights of women. Now, the matter that came before the Constitutional Court was actually a matter from the Legal Resource Center where um, the Cape Town Housing Company or we would say that the applicants um, or respondents in this particular matter um, wanted to evict almost, it was 12 families. And this matter is coming on for some time, and it's actually it was actually an, an appeal from the Western Cape um, High Court 
of a judgment where the court actually confirmed um, the evictions. And the matter went up to the Constitutional Court and the Women's Legal Center, although the issues were very narrow, it was narrow because it was two particular issues that was dealt with. It was an appeal and it dealt with, um, you know, notice that was sent and whether or not the amount had to be placed in. But for us, that's technical. For us, it was deeper. It for us was about the possibilities of these people being able to pay back the money. It was for us to be able to understand what was the purpose of this um, these subsidies that were allocated to this particular company, um, the position of this particular company, and then we also wanted to interpret what they call the National Credit Act in line with our constitutional duties in terms of Section 26, which means that, you know, um, that government has given these funding, or this, <coughs> these subsidies, to realize rights for people, which means housing. And where does women fit in? Is that we know historically women have been discriminated against. And when it comes to eviction, when it comes to housing, I mean, they are, like I said before, th th these challenges, because historically they've been discriminated against. Firstly, they could not own property. Secondly, either through their marriage, um, they couldn't own because we know religious marriages is not allowed, uh, not not recognized, which technically means even if they divorce, etc., it's not that they're going to immediately in a civil marriage get properties. These are all ways how women, you know, access properties they can maybe purchase. Um, we also know that many women, working class women, they can't access bonds. So these subsidies were given what they call um, finance link subsidies was given for a particular purpose. And the purpose, which I always say is, is not just um, the law or what they call formal equality, yes, the law, everybody's equal, you access it. These subsidies were given to be able to promote substantive equality, which means to be able to ensure that women and vulnerable work or vulnerable persons access so that they can move forward in terms of their life. Um, and, and what happened in this particular circumstance is that th there was a notice, there was no amount that was given, and the court actually agreed that it was okay to send a notice without an amount um, and to say that people must pay back. And then the obligation shifts to the so-called debtor to contact the creditor to say something like, what is the amount? And I think that is not fair. It's not fair on working class people, it's not fair on the poor, and it's definitely not fair on on, on women. Okay, Shyam, I just want to hear uh, Cameron's comment on that. I mean, Cameron, you've heard the whole issue of... Uh, of this discrimination against women, I'm sure that would not be the, the ANC's policy. Exactly not. I mean, I think the ANC has actually recognized um, at a conference almost 12 years ago, we've actually ta taken the lead in, in, for instance, saying that when it comes to public representatives, when it comes to leaders elected in our structures, we've been the first party to say that we actually need 50% of representation in our organizational structures and in parliament and in council to be women. And I think in terms of what Shiham has raised, um, even though women constitute more than 50% of our people, um, there's often this 
uh, narrative which dominates where when when one thinks of an eviction uh, many people just think oh that must be males that are being evicted but clearly what you um, I think has pointed out in regard to the case that they argued that very often it's single mothers that are keeping a household together mm-hmm. single mothers that are the ones that are fighting to keep the house to stop the eviction to to find a way of paying the rent and I think it's a very significant um, struggle, and that's why I think an organization like the Women's Legal Center, I think has been very successful in intervening, in highlighting how the plight of women in a case such as the Cape Town Housing Company um, have been affected. And I think it's very important when talks, you know, we sometimes use jargon and we say we should engender our analysis. But, mm. I mean, you remember from the student movement, um, we were taught that we've got to analyze society in regard to class mm-hmm. in regard to race and in regard to gender and we can talk about how um, women um, as often as workers as black women have been affected and we often talk about the triple burden of oppression mm-hmm. in apartheid for, for, for South African women and I think this case really highlights um, how the way that the Cape Town Housing Company was operating was actually impacting negatively on the rights of women. Mm-hmm. Cameron, the next question, and I'm going to jump into this because we're going to run out of time if we don't jump into it now. The big question on everybody's lips is, why is the government so eager to expropriate land? Okay, I'm going to do this very quickly because I see we don't have much time. <laughs> no, 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 we have till nine o'clock. Oh, we have till nine. I we was, have a lot of time, so you can't do it that quickly. Okay, no, they will yeah. take a little bit more time. Yeah. I, Ishan um, and Shiam, I was actually at the... I was at the ANC National Conference um, in December last year when this resolution was adopted. And I think what often people do not talk about was the full resolution that was adopted. And I think it's important just to clarify that because that's the starting point um, in terms of engaging on this issue. The resolution of the ANC very clearly said that the ANC supports uh, expropriation without compensation provided and I and I want to explain this provided number one that food security is not affected mm-hmm. number two which means it won't affect the operational farms at this point I'm, I'm going to get to okay. that number two that the agricultural economy should not be affected and number three that investment into the sector should not be affected. So there was a clear call because, as you know, the the land policy of the ANC has been built on two pillars. We first had restitution, people who lost um, their homes, who lost their land post-1913. So there has been some movement in regard to restitution, people who submitted claims, but we also know that's unfinished business. Mm -hmm. District 6, which is close to where we're sitting now, and we can go into a long discussion about why that particular issue has not been fully um, resolved. Cameron, so that's another I, I'm, debate. I'm definitely going to flag that because flag I can tell you now mm. there's hundreds, if not thousands of people listening to this program tonight and uh, that exact question is on their mind. Where did it go wrong? Okay. So we're going to flag yeah, that for another program. Okay. But what I'm saying is that the one pillar of the land program was mm-hmm. restitution, mm-hmm. right? And many people have opted for compensation. I know recently there was a, a, a claim settled in Constantia. And I think what's good about that family trust claim is that they've actually put together um, a development proposal and will actually be generating income. Is that the Solomon's claim? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, for okay. me, that's a more successful example of, of a claim mm. People didn't just opt for money and that there'll be an opportunity to generate income and wealth from that particular claim. But the second part, which this expropriation debate really goes to, is the issue of land redistribution. And I would be the first to admit as an ANC member that 
in regard to progress in re- to <coughs> the redistribution of land, there have been serious challenges and delays. And I think that we would be the first to admit, as our resolution does, that we have not moved. So the move towards expropriation without compensation was basically a clear signal to say we need to speed up because our president Sir Ramaphosa described this as the original sin, the actual dispossession of land from the indigenous people of this country and various levels of dispossession over years through colonial conquest, through wars, through group areas, through many. So what this then said is that one of the mechanisms needs to be expropriation without compensation because we had very bad experiences with the the willing buyer, willing seller, where some people were insisting on hundreds of millions. Um, And clearly in a situation where we are trying to provide education, health, many other services, that became a challenge. Wasn't there a situation to to remedy that willing buyer, willing seller by actually getting a a, a valuation on that particular land, an independent valuation? Yeah. Wasn't didn't that wasn't that a, an intervention into that process? Yes. You see, one of the, the 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 challenges is that if you look at our constitution, the constitution said very clearly that our government was supposed to have passed uh, a law um, on ex- expropriation. So we're still sitting right now as we speak with a 1967 piece of legislation mm-hmm. around expropriation, and we have failed. And we must ad- admit to pass a law of general application in regard to expropriation, because the Constitution says clearly that if land has been acquired illegally, in terms of our current Constitution, that it may be expropriated. And I want to use an example. But, of I, but before I get to that, let me get to Sham quickly, okay. because I know she did some yeah. work on this. Sham, what are the proposed changes to the Constitution that Cameron is referring to? Well, I mean, I think Cameron said it. I mean, he said it like, you know, it, the, the provision which is without compensation. I have to say that our position at the Women's Legal Center, obviously, is that the current provisions um, are, adequate. are adequate. And I think that when you spoke about the principle of willing buyer, willing seller, I mean, we made submissions around it, and we are saying that it presumes that the state has an abundance of resources, obviously, and that that is that is the problem. But that policy is not in the constitution. Mm. That is a it ruling a po- policy. That yeah. is a ruling party policy. So the principle is frustrating the land reform process. So we mustn't, you know, tie. For example, policy up to what the Constitution is saying in terms of Section 25, because we are only concentrating on one provision. There are eight other provisions, and we're saying that we are getting stuck on the one particular provision which speaks to the compensation. So the market value, of course, is not the only factor that needs to be taken into account and to decide on what is just and equitable. Because we also know that there's a provision that says you can expropriate in terms of public interest. Yeah. And and we already there's already court cases which we discussed I think previously where the court endorsed an approach which which said that how you determine market value is a particular way. And it doesn't mean that you have to give compensation because the formula needs to to, to be to be worked okay, out. Okay, so Jean, what you're saying so, is so, the Constitution um, don't need an amendment. I'm, I'm saying that policy needs to change. <laughs> and we are saying that the Expropriation Act, because we, we know it's a 1975 Act, which is a part of statute, and we are saying amend it, change it, make it in line with the Constitution. <laughs> yeah. um, 
And so, so, so it's critical that we need to be, we, we, because our challenge that we're sitting with now, and I need to give you an example, is that there's a lot of pieces of legislation. Okay, Shyam, which hold on to that example. We are coming back, and then uh, we're just going to go for a quick ad break, and then when we come back, we'll be continuing. Thank you. Okay. The Legal Hour with Isan Higgins. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. We are back. Um, it's eight o'clock now, and uh, we're still, you know, going to be talking to Cameron Dagmo and to Shyam Samai about the land question. Uh, we've covered some some ground, but Cameron, I'm not done with the first question. Maybe I'm just coming back to yes. you. And uh, just you can, you can just explain to us um, yeah. the the concept that uh, Shyam obviously got a slightly different view, mm. but your view on it with regard yeah. to the policy. I think Ishan, you referred to the announcement that the president made after the NEC meeting, where he said the ANC is now supporting the amendment of Section 25. And I, I'm very clear, and I've heard that Shyam has made a strong argument that their view as the Women Legal Center is that you actually don't have to amend the Constitution. But I want to make this very clear. The ANC's position, as I said before, is in support of expropriation without compensation provided doesn't impact on food security, doesn't impact on the agricultural economy, and doesn't impact on investment in the sector. So what we are now saying, the amendment to Section 25 is simply about providing under which circumstances one may expropriate without compensation. For instance, there is a strong argument that we have absentee landlords that are sitting on huge properties that haven't been used for 50 or 60 years. They're lying vacant. They might be under the ownership of a trust or they've been owned by someone who owns 10 other farms. That might be a case. Also, when you have a clear illegal sale, for instance, the Skullpook issue in Hermanus, where the municipality there disposed of 105 hectares of prime land between Zwilishle and the coast for 5.6 million. Mm. Clearly, the way that has been done provides an opportunity, even in terms of the current constitution, to expropriate and then get a court to decide, must the person who bought it simply be paid back what he paid what he paid for 5.6 million? Because we now hear this developer wants close to 80 million. So, so Cameron, we'll just go slowly. I think yeah. you're going a bit fast. Let, okay. let's, let's unpack what you said now. So the piece of land, what you call Skullpook. Skullpook in right. Hermanus. Okay. So basically the municipality of, is that the Hasakwa? No, no, it's, it's Overstrand Municipality. Overstrand, Overstrand Municipality. They basically sold a piece of land and you saying there's an allegation that it has been an illegal sale. An irregular sale. So yes. in other words, it didn't comply with the with, with all the, the, the PFMA um, and of course the tender procedures. Is that what you're saying? Yes, that's correct. Because if you look at the current constitution, and I know that is the argument that Shiham is raising, it says there clearly that the amount of compensation and the time and manner of payment must be just and equitable, but it also says um, reflecting an equitable balance between the public interest and the interests of those affected, mm. having due regard to all relevant circumstances. And one of those is the history of the mm. acquisition. Ah, right. So in Hermanus, mm. there was a piece of council land, mm. council land, 110 hectares right on the coast between Zwilishle, the township um, community there, 
um, and, and the, the coast mm. sold for 5.6 million rand. Can't even so, buy a, so buy if, a plot for that amount exactly. of money. So okay. if you use even the current constitution, and that is the argument that is being raised, you can ask, you can offer the seller exactly what he paid for it. If he refuses, because we understand that the, the person who bought it now wants in excess of 80 million, I can't say that that's exactly, but anyway, a figure much higher than the 5.6 that he bought for it then that would be a classic case for expropriation without compensation. So I agree with Shiam that it can, some expropriation can be done in terms you know why, of compensation. Why, why but I reiterated yeah. the question was because Shiam is probably thinking exactly what I'm thinking right now. And uh, it, it could possibly also relate to the Bukap issue, uh, Shiam, yes. with regard to St. Monica's. Isn't that the, that's also an allegation out there that the sale would, could potentially have been tainted. So isn't that the same example that, that Cameron is giving you now? Can I, uh, let me just explain. I mean, where expropriation comes in for us, and it, um, I can touch on the issue of Boca, but I'm going to give a simple example. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go back now. If you look at, for example, farm workers, right? One of the major challenges with the extension of Security of Tenure Act, it doesn't give ownership. Whatever you must say, whether or not we want to amend it in the future, you know, but it's, uh, that is the reality for many of the farm workers. And more times than not, they, they are going to be evicted because Esther facilitates that, sadly. And it's. Um, Shyam, Shyam, can Esther, I just. Esther, the extension of security of Kenya Act. Sorry, go, Shyam. Yes. So, this is the piece of legislation that protects, for example, farm workers. At the end of the day, how do you give that particular land? To that farm workers that we don't just take farm workers also just off the um, the the farm and place them in what we call agri villages or we start creating um, villages you know near to the city center etc then all the farm workers are living there you get all your seasonal workers there but at the end of the day the land reform policy or land reform processes need to allow farm workers to be on 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 the property so so one of the questions that we're asking is can expropriation be used in this particular context? Because the extension of Security of Tenure Act don't give ownership. That's true. That is for us because if we want to change the landscape, then if we come to work up, for example, and my issue has always been, and I know it's women, but vulner- vulnerable people, whether or not it's women or even men, have to travel. <coughs> I mean, this, we like speaking to the converted here, but we know. You know, shut down five o'clock, everybody gets on the train back into the townships and they have to come back. The problem that we're sitting with is at the city center, it's too expensive to live there. And we need to be able to look at if the city does not want, if they don't want to give this particular land, or is all the land that is within the city center, if national, this is what we're putting out there, to be able to look at whether or not, based on the current provisions we need to expropriate. It is in the public interest. Mm. Spatial, <coughs> we need to be able to ensure that there is spatial equity, that people come back into the city center. Mm. It's not being, it's not happening where the city is concerned. We know what happens, what's happening. Can we use the expropriation provisions um, to be able to ensure that we get the land back? Mm. If we go to Borka, for example, there's lots of things that we need to unpack. But there is lots of land that is in the... Um, in, in, in private owners uh, um, that is owned by private owners. <coughs> and the only way to be able to get it is through the Expropriation Act. Yeah. But what we need to look at is is all the provisions of Section 25. Otherwise the Constitution, everything, not the, the use of the property. Yeah. How 
did they get the property? The market value is one. Yeah. The extent and the direct state investment. Because my question that I have is that here you have a city of Cape Town in whatever form, you know, sold property to a particular developer that had to go to to ensure that, that, that people either possibly in in the city centre can access it, but I'm talking about working class. So how can we look at that? Because there was a state investment. Um, the purpose of the expropriation, so we need to look at the public interest, which includes the nation's commitment to land reform. And we need to centre our urban justice issues within the context of l- urban land reform. And mm. we need to be bold about it. Yeah. And we need to be able to take that on. And these are already examples where the Schools Act allows for expropriation in the public interest, but it's done, for example, in the context of education. There's already been cases. Mm. Then we have the Labor Tenants Act. It's very specific, but there's already court cases where the compensation was very low. Because we should not play the game of market value. Mm. Because at the end of the day, we need to be able to look at how these communities or this insecure land tenure is being perpetuated because we are not using. And if we need to go back and say that the Expropriation Act is unconstitutional because it does not <laughs> speak to the values of our constitution, then that is where we need to go. Cameron, I want you to, to comment on the... On whether or not the ANC is, is, is let's call it, hell-bent on changing the constitution or are they looking at other options as well in order to realize policy? Okay, the ANC has made it clear that we are going to amend Section 25 simply to provide clarity in terms of under which circumstances land can be expropriated without compensation. So by saying that, it's clear that the ANC doesn't support a generalized policy of expropriation without mm-hmm. compensation. It's under which circumstances. Okay. I agree that with Shyam that right now, with this constitution that we have here in the, in the studio, you can, applying all those criteria, expropriate. And I think there's a case to be made in, a, in an example like Skilpur. But I also want to mention another inner city example mm-hmm. um, in the context of the points that Shyam was raising. You know, in Seapoint, there's a, uh, a school called Tafelberg <coughs> that is belongs to the provincial government. When I was MEC at the time... It used to belong to the provincial no, government. No, no, no. <laughs> right now, it okay. still actually does belong okay. to them. Because fortunately, they attempt to sell it to private interest has been taken to court by both the minister, former minister of human settlements, Lindy Wesisulu, as well as reclaim the city. Mm. And so the the, 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 the land, Tafelberg School, has not been transferred. Now, here is an issue where clearly, for me, <clears throat> it is in the public interest that domestic workers who've been saving up money for years in Seapoint and workers in general around there, to avoid this traveling in from Kailich or Mitchell's Plain, could actually live in social housing there. So there is, for instance, a provision, a national law called Giyama, the Government Immovable Disposable Asset Management Act. And what it says very clearly that before you alienate Right, And we'll have a whole other long debate whether we should not support a moratorium mm. on the sale of any public land, whether municipal... Moratorium meaning the stopping the sale, sale of any... Yes, okay. that's right. The ANC's got a very clear policy on public land. We prefer a long-term lease on public land. Mm-hmm. But that says that you first have to ask whether another government department needs it. In this case of Tafelberg, the Provincial Department of Housing wanted to use the Tafelberg School for Social Housing, but the Premier 
then lobbied by um, certain of her MECs, decided to sell it to private interests. So isn't this a practical case, like Skullpook, where national government can say it's in the public interest that Tafelberg gets used and yeah. actually move on expropriation. Has there. that judgment been... No, that judgment is it's in process at the moment. The, okay. it's, it's, it's in process. But the point is, it's been because of people's struggles to stop the sale of Tafelberg. But this is possibly a case, and we as the ANC have made it clear that if this sale proceeds, mm. we will Im- immediately call for expropriation of that particular land as the constitution the current constitution says in the public interest i want to explain that the anc does support the amendment of section 25 but simply to clarify under what circumstances so that there's more certainty in that in in that regard and secondly we're saying two things must happen we have to pass the expropriation act that is consistent with the constitution which we have failed to do and we acknowledge Mm. that and we need a comprehensive land redistribution act we've got a land restitution act which governs the claims such as district six and the other areas but we don't have a comprehensive land redistribution act and that is what so those two pieces of legislation must go we are arguing and i know that um others are saying we could use the current constitution but we our argument is let's provide clarity Mm. that's all and in so and i also want to say put it on the record some people are spreading stories that the anc government supports taking people's houses that is absolute nonsense nowhere in any anc policy do we support that someone's house private house should be expropriated and the, the second issue is the, the types of ownership we know that other political parties have raised that all property should resort under state ownership what we are saying is that some land should resort under state ownership others under um, issues community trusts others under cooperatives, and there is also space for for private ownership. That is the the policy of the ANC. But what's clear here, we are sitting on the one hand with national government land in Cape Town, Aesterplatte, we're sitting with Youngsfield, we're sitting with provincial government land, with city land and parastatal land. What's critical for us is to look at all that public land and ask ourselves the question, how do we advance inner city affordable housing? Because Shyam is right. Many people come to the city, leave. It's only the wealthy that are staying in certain high-rise apartments, loft apartments. Look at Kulemborg is a prime example of what we could use for um, densified, well-located, affordable housing. It is possible for us to actually make the city alive by using well-located, not only land, but also buildings. And that's why, for instance, the SABC building, Ishan, in, uh, in, uh, called Rocklands, right there in Seapoint, is the possibility of developing social housing. People are even talking about the opportunity of the Seapoint Civic Center, which is actually underutilized, being used. So we've got to defend and protect all well-located buildings and land in the inner city and across, like say if you go Fort Tricker Road or you go down here towards Musenberg on the main road, that's where our people need to be but living. Cameron, and just, we can I, I use wanna, the law just, to achieve those up, things. I just want to pick up on what you said earlier on. So, you know, on the one hand, there's haste to actually oppose things. Uh, in terms of a developer, you know, the people are always concerned, you know, once a development has started, you know, there's no way to stop it. But what you're saying is, if there is this act that gets passed about this um, expropriation act, uh, or amended... Yes. Uh, amend, because there is an uh, act. There is an act, no, although, we are although that about, act, We're talking about a new, new act. Yeah, yeah. But that we're talking act, about a new yeah, act. Yeah, that act could be uh, abrogated, and then, of yeah. course, a new act yes. can come into being. So that's possible. Mm-hmm. But you isn't that then the the weapon or the silver bullet then to get back all these developments uh, 
that was actually purchased from the municipalities. Um, definitely, that's an opportunity for instance like what has happened in, in Hermanus. But we also know that the city of Cape Town continues with auctioning off a lot of council land. And I think at the ANC Land Summit that was held recently, one of the proposals which is still going to the Provincial Executive Committee of the ANC is to call for a moratorium on the disposable disposal of any state land you take there are many black developers and i was i was pointing out to you the the provisions of guillermo what that says that before you dispose of and and we are here talking about lease now imagine you've got a well-located piece of land in in woodstock close to the inner city saying that that disposal or lease must advance black economic empowerment and we know that we talk black we talk colored african and indian um, alleviation of poverty, job creation, and redistribution of wealth. Why is it that certain development companies in Cape Town appear to have the red carpet rolled over to them? There are many black-owned development companies that are able to do inner-city developments. But the critical issue here is the policy around when anyone does a development, like in many other cities in the world. You can't just build a development for the wealthy. That same complex has to accommodate affordable housing gap housing, and then yes, on, at certain levels you can have uh, um, uh, apartments that are more expensive, but you've got to integrate these developments so that you actually have a vibrant mix of different owners. These things are possible in Cape Town. It just mm. requires the political will. But right now, and that's where I would concede to Isham, as much as we as the ANC are saying we want to amend to provide clarity, this constitution as it stands now doesn't mean we have to wait. There are things that can be done now. And I think the critical issue for us and we as the ANC say Cape Town needs a transparent and visible land audit of all well-located state provincial, municipal land, also Praza land, Transnet land, and also well-located private property. We need an audit so we can see what's available. And for instance, instead of why, developing... Why is there no audit after 23 years of democracy, 20, almost 24 years of democracy, there's no land audit? We've asked for that audit in the city of Cape Town, and we're now being told that we need to use PIA to get that. And people say, no, if we publish a list of um, available land, we're going to have land invasions. The way that you actually have a proper access to land is being put it in the public domain so that communities can say, mm. yes, we want this land for recreation, we want this for, for housing, we want this for inner city development, we want this for a school. But by keeping that information away, I think it actually adds to the, that, you know, you, you have someone um, of a certain political party saying, oh, if you see that piece of land and you like it, take it. That's nonsense. That's not mm. our policy. We'll never support chaos because that's not the way to do it. But why don't we start with a land audit in Cape Town, George, every municipality so that the community can see this is what we have. Because we do have a lot of state land that is available. But, and you mentioned um, earlier informally the issue of golf courses. Mm. We've got to have a serious debate about golf courses, not only in the city. Many of these were all owned by the municipality. We need to investigate why certain golf courses actually were allowed. They were sold to private trusts. And the private trustees of some of these golf courses actually made huge amounts of money. And I'm not uh, advocating here that we close every public golf course, but we've got to look at the golf courses that we have and ask the question, are there not some golf courses, which could actually be so, used so to the advance. We've got to look at all the land that the state owns yeah. and make decisions I, I think with regard in to an golf, orderly way. With golf courses, isn't it about whether it is used or underutilized? If it is used and, and it's fully used and, and there's some form of, 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 of revenue generated for the, for the state, or, I mean, yeah. in terms of the lease, 
But if it is underutilized, surely, you know, that, that, that should be the criteria. It's underutilized. I think that's one of the criteria. I'm sure Shyam's got a view on that. But I, So what we are pushing, let's have an audit of all state land. A lot of municipal golf courses are on leases, maybe 20 years. Indeed, We've got to look at those. And, mm. and we've got to see what is our plan. But I'm also saying we must avoid blaming a Helen Ziller. Other day was saying, yeah, but, you know, the national government's got all this land, Easter plan, and so on. At the same time, she's selling Tafelberg. At the same time, she's actually not making other land available mm. for housing. But let's, in a way, try and avoid where we can the party politics here. Because mm. National does have land in Cape Town. Mm. The province has land in Cape Town. And the Paris city itself. Have it. Paris, so let's put that in a basket. For instance, I've got a particular view on the PHA. We have to protect the Philippi horticulture area, which is the food basket of Cape Town. Now, there are some development applications in which could effectively destroy the PHA. So I'm saying if those developers have got the applications in, let the state look at what other land we do have and say to those developers, this this is better located land for housing. Let's protect the PHA. But we can only do that if we have a sense of what land is available. And I'm, I'm saying that we should not exclude private land. Shiam mentioned the Constitution talks about the public interest. Over the years, people have expropriated private land for a school, for a road, road. in mm-hmm. the public interest. So there could well be... Um, but for me, that would be an example where if you have a well-located piece of private land that you want to use... You know, we're not saying that in every single circumstance you must have expropriation without compensation. There could well be cases where clearly compensation needs to be paid. But if that land, as you said, has not been used for 50 years, it's agriculturally um, zoned, it's been lying fallow, that provides a particular opportunity. And that's where the amendment will come in, under what circumstances. But now, Cameron, what stops the government uh, from actually passing a law placing a moratorium on all state-held land without actually interfering with the Constitution. I personally don't think that there's a problem with that. You see, at the moment, when public works is the custodian of national land. So the national government could... It's not, you don't have to change a law. You can just issue a policy that... Policy, yes. That, that we... A that we, order, yes. Uh, you, you basically do not allow national government departments. At the moment, we have Guillermo which are the Government Immovable Dis- um, um, Disposal Management Act, which does allow disposal. But government could say that we're passing a policy that you cannot dispose. Then the provincial government of the Western Cape, in terms of its properties, would need to be challenged to do the same, and the municipality. And then we, we, we could begin to look at a strategy here, because every day we're having a land invasion there, a land invasion there, because it's not a comprehensive yeah. Sorry, strategy. Sorry, I was going to get to Sham quickly. Sham, yeah. is that policy, or does a, an act have to be, have to be passed? Well, okay, just before you answer that, think about it. We're going to go for an ad break. When we come back, I would like you to give us a, a shot at that one. The Legal Hour with Isan Higgins. And we are back with the legal hour. Um, I've got with me Shyam Samai and I've got Cameron Dagmo, um, politician, uh, and uh, Shyam, of course, activist and attorney. Shyam, I'll ask you the question. What Cameron said earlier on, uh, does it require policy or legislation? Um, I'm going to, it requires amendment 
or it needs legislation. I think that the Constitution um, does not require amendment. I'm going to say that again. It requires implementation. So the state has a positive duty to, to implement the Constitution and apply principles in order to give full effect to it. And we're saying that that the, one of the, 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 the obligations is the, the state's the, the state has to achieve land reform and redress um, in relation to past racial discrimination, which includes, um, for example, the challenges around spatial injustice, which technically means that, you know, where you have, you don't have poor people or working class people of color living in the city center. Everybody lives on the periphery of the cities. And, and there is an obligation on the state, which includes the city of Cape Town. To be able to ensure that that is redressed. So, my we we are saying that there is no set formula in relation to what is just and equitable, um, because each case obviously must be determined on its own merit. So, the factors that needs to be considered, like I said before, is the use of the property, the acquisition, you know, how much money, and I and I do think that most of these developers, I have my own bias. I don't think maybe they are good ones, but the ones that I've we've seen, for example, in the city. Um, you know, they don't come with clean hands. And these are things that also need to be taken into account. They don't come with clean hands. They come with the, with the, with the, um, development. They give lip service to, you know, the challenges of the poor as well as the working class and say they can offer 20% of a property in this particular development but then we they are talking about how much is that it's like 1.5 1.6 million we are working class people going to be able to access a bond to be able to do that sure i'm just want to read some of the i mean people are really heating up here on the on, on the lines and i'm going to read some of it out you know so that you know we can just add a bit of fuel to this uh, discussion i want to say to 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 the listeners however and uh, that the views expressed in this program is not necessarily the views of the voice of the Cape, its management or staff. And I need to say this because, you know, some of our um, our, our listeners, you know, they're sending, uh, they make certain allegations, but of course it's allegations. And uh, But we need to read it, you know, people mm. need to understand what the anger is about no. out there. Um, the first one I'm going to read is, do we consider District 6 land as public land? If the Expropriation Act has been around since 1975 and also calling for public interest expropriation, then do tell me why we are waiting so long to return to District 6. Isn't that getting back to District 6 not a public interest or in the public interest? If the ruling party is looking to amend the 1975 Act for land distribution to benefit our people, after 30 years of struggling to return to District 6, will we be allowed to be first in the queue to return? Okay, that's one question. I mean, we don't have to answer. We can, we can take certain of those items out of there. Second one I want to read is the gentleman just said, or lady says, agreed. In public, the city committed to roll out transitional housing for evictees. But in the courts, they, will, they still argue that the city has no obligation to provide evictees with temporary emergency accommodation in the city centre and surrounds. This is unfair. They are happy to make promises as politicians, but they don't want the court to rule on this. So the Bromwell Street families are challenging the city housing plan itself, 
which if successful could have a big impact on all families facing eviction and displacement in well-located areas. They want the court to rule that the city's plans are unconstitutional because they only offer relocation camps. Now the parties will have to file more affidavits to answer this question and then a hearing date will be agreed. So it will take time in the interim. The Bromwell Street families will stay in their homes. Very nice uh, correspondence that this uh, person has sent and putting things into context. And I think that speaks to the problem in this country, that there is no comprehensive policy or law that protects the vulnerable. Comment on that, Cameron? I think as Shyam pointed out earlier that Government did introduce, for instance, a law to try and protect vulnerable farm workers, the the ESTA Extension of Security of Tenure Act. But it's clear that in an, an assessment as to how that law has been implemented, there are evictions of farm workers continuing. Mm-hmm. Um, there are attempts um, that of trying to make the case that farm workers should be accommodated in town, you know, and therefore. Um, trying to secure subsidies so that farm workers effectively are moved off the land. So I think clearly, you know, although there has been some protection, that particular law is is not adequate. I mean, you would know that our country, you know, uh, had a system of rent control Mm. at one particular point Mm. in time. I'm saying that we should put Mm. that debate back on the agenda. I mentioned that the development tribunal now in the city and all other cities are starting don't you have the rental housing tribunal? Yeah, no, 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 I'm actually talking about a situation where um, you had legislation yeah. which said that in certain buildings, yes, certain of the could. of the apartments or the flats were subject to rent control. Yes. We don't have that anymore. But what, I, what I'm saying is that in Cape Town right now, the development tribunals are beginning to look at this notion of when any development happens, that certain... Um, components of that housing development have to be affordable. Shyam raised the issues, is 1.5 million affordable? I think we need to look at that. But but when you talk about the vulnerable, people have rights in terms of the Constitution, in terms of um, facing evictions, um, what are the procedures that need to be followed, um, etc. And the Bromwell Street example is a case where those are private dwellings, right? Um, but through the gentrification where you don't have protection for people who simply cannot pay higher and higher rents. Obviously, the one recourse that people have is the rental tribunal. Mm-hmm. I think we need to start a debate again that when new housing is built, say um, a developer gets given the opportunity to build on public land, part of the conditions I think we should be looking at is not only different levels of affordability in a certain development, but some of that stock should be rental stock so that those that rent actually have a level of protection even in private situations yeah say where it is but if if you have a situation where there's a development on public land so a private developer can then the state says sure come and develop as a private developer but in this block that you're building we want different levels of affordability and some component to be rental stock and in that rental stock we want um, a formula which will guide how rentals increase. So in other words, it's not a classic private development. It's where you give a private developer the opportunity to build on public land. I'm saying that's a debate that we should have to prote- to further protect the vulnerable. But at the same time, we need to, I think if people are aware of their rights in terms of 
as taking the case to the rental tribunal if it's a private matter, um, informing people of what are the process that needs to be followed in regard to someone who wants to evict you, what is an illegal eviction. But I think the Bromwell Street case is, is beginning to argue what are the obligations of a local government or a provincial government when people face eviction, eviction. in a private situation mm-hmm. and then is everyone condemned to go to some transitional area or is there a policy which says that we have government rentals that would be affordable so it's not a question of people moving into private accommodation but there's enough rental accommodation for people who cannot afford and that's why I think the best way to deal with it is in a place like Woodstock and Salt River we've got to look at those public pieces of land where we can genuinely build affordable housing. Some of it rent to buy, some of it rental, some for private ownership. But that goes back to your question of, of the land audit. Yeah. Because then you can audit all the pieces of but I mean, do you really have to wait for, for the city no. to provide that? Surely there's NGOs with yeah. that type of information, Sham, surely. Yes, again, I'm just, I mean, um, I think Cameron have touched on so many things. Yeah. Mm. And I mean, the issue around rent control, it's something which, I mean, it, you know, it, it goes back. It goes back, like, uh, literally for Boakab, which is almost like yeah, 15 but no, years. Yeah, but, but it was also in, in other areas like Woodstock and yes, Salt River. Yeah. but we yeah. represented, and I mean, this is another time when I was at the UWC Law Clinic where we mm. actually wanted to challenge government around the Rain Control Act because they decided, you know, at that point in time, which is in 2003, to amend it. And then there was, then the Rental Housing Act came in. Mm. There was a provision in there that indicated that government had to assess the impact of the of the remo- removal and the amendment of the rent control provisions on houses, and this was in 2003. And I think at that point in time we formed the anti gentrification front, and we made submissions to government. Obviously, it was done in a context because rent control act was given at that point in time. Mm. I mean, we know it was. I, after the Second World War, yeah. we know it was after 1948, and it was given to a certain class of people, which is why it was it white white South Africans. But obviously, what happened afterwards was that those people moved, was given better houses, and who stayed was people of color. Mm. And um, and 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 that particular context, marine um, control is also very specific within the Western Cape. Mm. Very, very specific because it was it was linked to issues of class. Mm. And I, I don't think, sadly, at that point in time, government saw what was the actual implications of taking away the rent control provisions. And no research was done um, in terms of the impact. I don't know whether or not there was any report done. Um, we started engaging, obviously, with the rental housing. Let me just, let me just uh, for the listeners' benefit. Yeah. The 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 rent uh, the, the the rent control act was a 1976 well, yeah, act. Yeah, yeah, but it was also uh, incumbent. I mean, you can't just chuck somebody out. In yeah. fact, you had to prove that you're either going to live there, or your child is going to live there, yeah. or you're going to run a business from there. Mm. Or, you couldn't run you, a business. From no, no, you could. In fact, there was a, there was a provision in there that you had to do one of those three things. The reality is. That it was, it made it very difficult. I mean, there was a whole lot of provisions here. And also, you couldn't yeah. increase the rental yes. for more than ten percent, yeah. and you had to go to the rent tribunal at yes. that point in time yeah. to actually increase it if you wanted any increase. Like in hindsight, it, it was probably a good act mm. because you know what, you, you, your heart burns for that auntie who lived in Salt River, for instance, yeah. for the <clears> last fifty years, 
and then the landlord sends uh, a month's notice. I mean, this woman is completely devastated mm. because he now wants to renovate in order to get these high rentals. Um, so the rental I just think housing, that's something yeah. we should take under review. Yes. We should okay. review. Sometimes, to see, let's be honest, sometimes decisions have been made which have been impacted on the poor. Your question was, what do we do to protect the vulnerable? And I think that's an issue that we need to look at because... The reality is we're living in a in a in a in a in in both a market economy and we're living in an economy where the state also plays a regulatory and an intervention role. But we've got to ask ourselves honestly, were there unintended consequences in this case, for instance, mm. of moving away from, from rent control in, in particular situations? So mm. I think that what we need to get back to is to understand that a lot more could be done in this city to integrate the city to look at affordable, well-located housing, which is reducing people's transport costs. And I don't think that there is sufficient political will from the city mm. or the province to actually say, we are not going to sell any more public land or any more public buildings, such as the Tafelberg example. But then, like you said, and Shihamo was saying, people need to get organized. I'm aware of a social housing group that are campaigning in Seapoint they called him Flower Way to mm. for the Rocklands building. So yes. they've said, we are domestic workers, we are mm. mil military veterans, we are mobilizing ourselves into a housing cooperative, we want that building. They're lobbying the Minister of Communications that's in charge of SABC. Then there was the Tafelberg issue, we know that's before court at the moment. But I think people of Cape Town need to decide, like so far and no further. Tafelberg is perfect for inner city housing, close mm. to people of work. A woman from Mitchell's Plain or Kailicha spends literally over 50% of their daily wage just getting to Seapoint. Yes. That would be a perfect place, and there are others. So the audit of land and buildings, let's not hide that away. Mm. Let's put it up front so that communities can look at the options, because otherwise there's frustrations that develop, and then you have people who begin to push for land invasions, which don't actually solve the problem. But we must understand that unless we are transparent and open with people, you are going to get these levels of frustration. Cameron, I want to ask a question that's been asked a lot of times. Why is the marketing of this land uh, pro expropriation without compensation so badly managed? I think that's a difficult question to answer. I think we're also up against a dominant narrative. Um, you remember in 1994, there was stories going around about how this new ANC government was going to steal your fridge, steal your bicycle, steal your... So it's like a... a, fierce, a, a often, let's be honest, it's a yeah. kind of a swat gefaar. So now, when we get to the issue of land, it's very easy for the uh, kind of the dominant media or the dominant narrative to spread this. But I think we as the ANC and the government must also take responsibility that many people, when you say the resolution was passed, but provided it doesn't impact on food security, what I've told you, the three conditions. People say, but no one told us that. We just thought everything, our houses are going to be expropriated. So there is a lack of communication. And I think on social media, I've just been following a debate now where you know, people are saying we must arm ourselves, we must fight, we, we're going to fight for our land. You actually have a, almost a 94 situation again where people are hyping up hysteria. And let's put it on the record. The ANC government does not support expropriating people's houses. That's number one. Mm -hmm. Number two, the ANC does not support the issue that all land must resort under state control. We say some is under state um, ownership, some is under cooperative <coughs> ownership, some is under private ownership. So 
We don't support that. The second thing is that the, we are proposing, thirdly, that the only reason to amend Section 25, in our view, and we understand there's a very strong view, and Shyam has articulated that, that you don't need to. We are simply saying the only reason to amend Section 25 is to provide clarity under which circumstances. So clearly that already shows it's not a general policy of expropriation. So yes, I think we need to communicate much better, much more effectively. And right now, as we speak, this constitution that we have in the studio is what guides our country. The constitution hasn't been amended. This is what guides our country at this point Cameron, in time. Cameron, I want to add that, you know, that um, the, the city council had a very good marketing campaign about saving water. Yeah. Scaring people into into drinking dirty water almost. Oh. <laughs> I mean, everybody was almost scared to open the tap. Yeah. Uh, the way that marketing campaign was run about the scarcity of water. Yeah. And I think that was a. I personally think it was a brilliant campaign. You know, for in terms of water. So of course these entities do exist. I'm not saying you must use the same entity, mm. but I think the the, the 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 land. And I want both of you to comment on it because mm. I think it's very important that this issue needs to be clarified. The way you've clarified it now, in a way, uh, Cameron was good, but I think it needs to be put out there. You know, the people that are not listening to the program tonight must feel secure in the knowledge. That this is not the Swart Gefar issue. This is not something that the boogeyman is going to take your house and your car and all that type of thing. You want to have a situation where the country is stable, yeah. people are stable, and safe in the knowledge that they are hard-earned um, um, work, you know, in terms of acquiring the property, yeah. it will not be violated. Shyam? Yes, I mean, I, I will fully agree with you. I mean, communication is very important. Education, because, I mean, it's clear that people are going to go towards, you know, different levels of gefars to be able to push the agenda. It's very sad because, I mean, we have, I have to say, I mean, these are people's livelihoods. These are people's lives. Mm. You know, at the end of the day, we have seen that people get hurt, you know, because of issues of land. Um, and to be able to politicize it like that, it's just, it's, it's unacceptable. But one of the things is that if they do do the communications right, people broadly, it's not just about the house and government taking the house. They also need to understand what type of city do they want? Are they comfortable, you know, in getting onto the trains and living in? And we need to be able to say again, you know, what does it mean to have an inclusive city? And I mean, that should also be the broader education that needs to happen. People say, yes, we need to be part of, but we need to be able to envisage, you know, give the vision. People need to buy into that, mm -hmm. you know, before we even get to the issue of, you know, taking expropriation. I think when people realize that it's in the public interest to ensure that there's spatial justice, what does it mean? How do we mm -hmm. break that? How do you have working class people and, and poor people still living on the periphery of the city? How do you have people having to close down? They close down at 35 o'clock, everybody jump on a train. And to be able to bring those realities to the people that are sitting, mm. you know, in the suburbs, etc., it needs to come closer. And this is not the Gafar. This is how we need to make it an inclusive and a just city that is there for all. 
mm. and I think that is the type of communication that also needs to come, mm. you know, okay, from Sharon, the politi- we're political gonna, parties. Uh, we're going to go for an ad break now. Cameron, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond to that with regard to the communication issue, I think, and people are jumping up and down on air, mm. I mean, on, on the messages saying that communication is the key. Mm. So I would like your take on it after the ads. Thank you. The Legal Hour with Isan Higgins. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh Once again, uh, I think this is the last segment of our program We've got Cameron Dagmoy here We've got Shiam Samai And we're talking property And I mean, I'm very happy that the listeners are Are really sending long messages In fact, it's very difficult to read such long messages But Cameron, you were still going to be But before you say, I just want to read this Afrikaans message Which is quite nice uh, it, It's difficult to type Afrikaans on your phone um, and As you all know And he says, Salam alaikum Ik was geboren in Seapoint in, in 1961 Toen moet ons daar uit um, Ons moet bon toe gaan um, Omdat Ons can, no, no, it's, it's, it, it jumbles up a little bit, but it says here uh, that ons can claim my ma and ek can claim van ek was daar 10 jaar oud en my ma het my naam opgesit en ek het my ma het meetings gegaan die 26 July toen my ma gesterf en hulle het die selfde jaar uh, 1999 uitbetaal van Ons wat op die lijst was allemaal daar in Seapoint. Ek is getrouwd, my naam is, ok, nog een lang story. Um, bottom line is, um, this woman says she was born in Tramway Road. Yeah. Mm. I mean, Cameron, it, it adds a bit of uh, weight to your comments about Tafelberg, you know, and people needing or, or needing to move into that area. You know, that is not the exclusive domain of the wealthy. So I mean, this person here was born in in and they were evicted in Seapoint. Same story. So, so so before we get to her story, just uh, on the marketing issue of this okay. particular thing. Yeah, I think just quickly, like right at the beginning of the program, we said when we look at land, we look at the restitution issue. And for me, in Cape Town, two of the issues that we really need to talk about is what has happened in regard to settling the District Six claim. Secondly, tramways. A serious investigation needs to happen about what has happened to the tramway families. There was a process, and that process has clearly gone wrong. The second issue that we're talking about tonight is land redistribution. I hope I've clarified that the ANC has said that the ANC will support expropriation without compensation only if it doesn't impact on food security, only if it doesn't impact on the agricultural economy, and only if it doesn't impact on investment and we've then said the only reason to amend section 25 is to provide clarity under which circumstances this needs to be communicated and i think now that parliament is back in session we will definitely take that suggestion forward that this must be clear communication otherwise there's hysteria in the country Mm -hmm. hence he's not talking about expropriating people's houses that that is off the table so when people try and spread these lies it's often for a different agenda and one needs to communicate but also all south africans especially wealthy south africans especially wealthy white south africans need to understand that 
that this original sin of dispossessing people of land and evicting people like the lady now has told her story from Tramway to Bonteville, we have to deal with those issues. There's one argument that we can use the Constitution to do that, and I hear Shiam's made a strong argument. The point is we've got to solve this issue. We, we've set up Democracy 94, but let's admit the land issue, security of tenure, integrated housing, those issues have not been resolved, and we're a fairly young democracy still, but we've now got to take action to deal with it. And instead of spreading fear and rumors and swat khafar, we have to say, let us support this process so that we finally resolve the restitution cases like you've talked about. Boerkart needs a living heritage site declared there because otherwise we're going to have gentrification where only the wealthy mm. foreigners are going to end up living in Boerkart, destroying a history and a tradition. So Natiem Tetwa would have come there, but then it was the funeral of Mulan Eshan Hendricks, so that was postponed. But the demand for Burkhap to be a living okay, heritage site. Okay, you said site, it was postponed. When is it coming? Because I think Burkhap people are waiting. I would love to make that announcement, but <laughs> I, I don't want to misinform you. But he's promised he will come, okay, because that demand would, I think, actually help to secure um, affordable housing in Burkhap, because if it's a living heritage site, the people that have lived there you know, are not going to be subjected to all sorts of different offers and, and the gentrification which Yam talked about. So that is another struggle that needs to be fought. But at the end of the day, the government cannot do this. We need communities to get organized and say, we're living in Belleville, we're living in Paro, we're living in Retreat. This is a piece of land or a prize building that we think could be used for affordable housing. So we've also got to have agency and civil society taking action. The National Development Plan says we need three things. We need leadership, we need capability, but we need an active civil society. That's what we need, especially in a city like Cape Town, where I believe the political world doesn't exist to actually change the composition and the nature and the spatial apartheid. So we need pressure from communities. We need organization. We need media. We need publicity. Okay. That's what we need. Uh, Cameron, I'm going to give you an opportunity, but I'm just going to read some of the messages okay. here. And I think uh, we've got about four minutes left, I think. Uh, but firstly, this one gentleman says, Assalam shukran for the excellent informative program. Uh, so that's a nice little uh, you know, comment. And Cameron, f to you, he says, Salam. Cameron is nice and eloquent and easy to follow. Thanks for that. One question. How does the ANC plan to word its expropriation within the Constitution? Will those three provisions he mentioned will be within the Constitution? Shukran. I'm not going to be on the drafting committee, but as Shyam mentioned, there's now a process of the parliamentary committee. So that is the ANC policy from our conference, those three conditions. So this process of amending Section 25, as I said, will be to clarify under what circumstances. So clearly, that clarity, which will give certainty to the country, is what we actually need through this amendment. So I would advise the listener to... Um, to keep in touch with this process, and we will take the point that you've made, Ishan. We have to communicate effectively and better. So, effectively, the conditions under which expropriation must happen will be informed by ANC policy. We are the governing party, and I've mentioned the three conditions that we cannot, through this policy, affect food security, the agricultural economy, and investment in the sector. Okay, you're going to have a final comment, Shyam. Your final comment, and then I'm going to get Cameron's final comment, and then, of course, um, 
we'll have to conclude. Yes. Uh, because I see with that Yusuf, is, he came in already. So, Chiam, uh, your final I'm comment? I'm just going to say again, I mean, just Cameron, I mean, even if you, if there are processes within the ANC, we are saying that the the continued existence of the Expropriation Act that needs to be looked at. And that at, and it's a part piece of legislation. So, I mean, at no stage will it be able to even speak to the vision of our Constitution. And, and our Constitution says specifically it speaks to a transformative um, uh, uh, it's a transformative constitution mm. so we need to be able to see how we can bring in that but in addition to that just finally we can't fixate ourselves also on issues around um, that land reform only deals with agricultural land commercial yeah. land and also market-based type of farming activities <coughs> and we shouldn't uh, you know move into that because we, we our challenge is that uh, vulnerable person but for us women for example we need to live closer to places of work in the inner cities it they require land and housing and they require adequate space um, that is the one thing and we must also encourage that amendments need to take into account if it does go through the live realities of, of, of vulnerable persons in particular women but in addition to that for example existing pieces of legislation also needs to be amended for example the extension of security of tenure act in line with whatever happens in terms of this whether or not it's a constitutional or section 25 that is going to be amended or whether or not it's the expropriation act because we have seen that these pieces <coughs> of legislation are not taking into account the realities of our farm workers that need to stay on the farms mm. and there's no piece of legislation that makes that available so i'm saying let's not fixate ourselves on these commercial type of um land Okay, shukran for that, Sham. Cameron, final word, and then uh, we're going to have to close it. For I think the as we agreed, um, I think we also want to encourage you, Ishan, that uh, on the Schools Act, I'm actually asking if you can dedicate your next Monday program to the Western Cape Schools Act so we can, listeners can talk about this alcohol at schools and the other provisions because the final public hearing will be on Tuesday. Uh, the next question was, are you available I next will, week and Monday? I will make myself available, but I really would appreciate it. Let's invite all the different political parties to discuss their position. Yeah, but we, also need, but, a, but we also need a lawyer here so that yeah. we can understand the legal implications of this. Well, either we can, we can ask um, uh, Shiam, I don't know, it's up to you, but we will definitely find, um, if, if you need that help, Yeah, We'll definitely be in touch, but uh, the viewers, I mean the listeners, can actually look forward next week to, to yeah. we can, I mean, we had so many comments on this alcohol at school, the sale of alcohol at school, that, I mean, it will be an injustice not to have yeah. a program on it. And the day before the final public hearing would be perfect timing. Yeah, okay, is, excellent. But thank you for the opportunity, and um, we'll take very seriously the need to communicate on the land issue much, much better. Okay, inshallah. So uh, what we can say is now uh, to the listeners, shukran for, for, for uh, allowing us for the last two hours, you know, to enter your homes with some of the contentious issues in the country. We uh, tried to look at the legal angles, the political angles, and uh, this debate is far from over. But inshallah, next week we will all try to deal with the issue of education and alcohol. So from my side, I want to say assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.